This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. This is podcast episode number 48. It's brought to you by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app and make your bet on the Super Bowl or some college basketball that's been hot right now. We are doing this podcast on Tuesday, January 31st, as we await the big Super Bowl match between the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. The Philadelphia Eagles against their old coach, Andy Reid. And these days are going to be trying to get through in anticipation uh, as we await for the game. But we're going to analyze it a hundred different ways today and in the subsequent days. Uh, our special guest today will be Derek Gunn, who's covered the Eagles for a lot of years in this city for NBC Sports Philadelphia, before that Comcast Sportsnet, and now doing a post-game show with me on uh, Jacob Media. D. Gunn will join us, but for the time being, let's get into some Eagles talk. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we now have several days leading up to the Eagles playing in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs in a great subplot Super Bowl. I mean, the subplot, and you know the storylines that, that'll the, be, be just pounded on this week, and we'll go over a, a few of them. Um, so let's start it. Let's start it with the, the big uh, subplot uh, is uh, Andy Reid. All right, now Andy Reid coached the Eagles for 14 years. This is just a, a tremendous matchup for both Eagles and Kansas City fans to have Andy Reid, the former coach of the Eagles, the guy that built a, a Super Bowl-worthy team that didn't quite get there, uh, versus the team that he now is the coach of, and he's led them to great heights, and he has become a Hall of Fame coach basically because of his career in Kansas City. So um, we'll, we'll be ta- ta- taking a really close look at Andy Reid's career here in future podcasts, and we're going to do several of them before we actually get to the Super Bowl. Uh, this is the matchup that I wanted. I wanted the Eagles to play against Andy Reid. I want them to beat Andy Reid. And uh, I'll just tell you a quick story on Andy Reid. Um, he's a good man, and he always was a good man. Uh, as a fan here in Philadelphia – it always bothered me the things that he was too stubborn to do. And we know that that's true because uh, we complained about it all the time. He, he thought that he didn't need receivers. Uh, he thought that, uh, uh, you know, he, he didn't need uh, running backs. 
that uh, it was a passing game in the NFL. And for the most part, he was right. But if it's a passing game, you need receivers. Like the system doesn't win. You need marquee receivers to win in that system. And it wasn't until he lost that he actually listened to fans who were carping about this the whole time. you got to get some receivers. You can't win with James Thrash and Todd Pinkston. You can't win with guys like that. You may like them and now you may think your system is great, but you can't win with those. And finally he went out and got T.O. And then the Eagles bundled that situation. So what, when I look at Andy Reid, I appreciate the success and the team building that he did here, but it was annoying to me that he wouldn't do things to cinch the deal. And the fact of the matter is they lost three or four NFC title games with the better team, with the favorite team. And, and it, when he got T.O., he didn't cultivate T.O. And I keep saying, you know, at the time, I was anti-Eagles and pro-T.O. Not because I thought T.O. was this model citizen. I thought he was a crazy man. But when you go out and get a crazy man, how do you then pretend that he's not a crazy man? See, this is the faulty thinking that the Eagles went through during those years. They thought that they could acquire a man who was technically insane and then expect them to be sane. And then once he found out his contract was inadequate, what was he going to do? Go, oh, that's okay. I'm just going to go home and I'm going to have a popsicle. That wasn't going to happen. So I, it was, his regime, while successful, was annoying to me. And we're going to get into this a little later in the week in the other podcasts because I want to talk more about Andy Reid and his regime. And at that time, I will tell you a story on why else he annoyed me. And it had to do with a partner that I was working with at the time that he cultivated to get on his side so he would be immune from any criticism. And as, as me, as the way I am wired in this business is just journalism, as a journalist, I hate that kind of favoritism. But we'll get into that a little later, and I'll explain that story. It actually uh, is a specific story that happened at an Eagles training camp. All right, the other subplot. You're gonna hear, I'm going to get it out of the way right now because you're going to see a million stories on this. They're going to interview the mother. They're going to interview the cousins. They're going to interview the hometown. And it's the Kelsey brothers story. All right. One brother is the great tight end for the Chiefs. The other brother is a Hall of Fame center for the Eagles. That storyline is going to be played out. Unfortunately, they don't play against each other. Now, if one guy was going to tackle the other guy, it would be a more interesting story to me. One guy, they're both on offense. So the, the Kelsey brothers, it's an amazing story. First time brothers have played against each other in the Super Bowl. I got it. But I'm getting it out of the way first because you're going to, you're going to see – uh, you're going to see a variation of stories based on this. I don't know how how many ways that that people in this business can cut the Kelsey story, but I'm just prepping you that it's going to be cut at least 50 ways. You're going to see 50 different versions of the the, the Jason Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey story. All right, all right. Uh, some other storylines. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Because now it's come to fruition where he is a Super Bowl quarterback. He, he, he was a candidate for the MVP. I don't know. He, maybe he should be the MVP of this league. But let's look back at the time that they got Jalen Hurts and why, when I was on the radio, and you remember that I thought it was the silliest thing they could possibly do. One of the, the, the reasons I thought it was silly is because, as far as my information at the time, the Eagles could have very well traded that pick with their first-round pick to move up to get C.D. Lamb. That was the guy I thought they should have gotten. I thought he was far and away the better wide receiver. Now, if we fast forward life, it worked out for him. It may have been a miracle from God. It may have been blind, dumb luck. Or it may have been so strategic that my mind was incapable of understanding it at the time. 
But when you had just signed a franchise quarterback for that kind of money, to draft Jalen Hurts with that second pick in the draft, I thought was just incredibly counterproductive. One of the reasons why is because I read the tea leaves on Carson Wentz. I didn't think that he was one of those guys that would be able to slough that off. As it turned out, he wasn't. Again, this is when you have to read the cards. Years ago, they didn't read those cards on T.O. Years later, they didn't read it on Carson Wentz, that he would fall apart completely just because of the drafting of a guy. At the time, I thought their only motive was to draft a guy who was a better backup quarterback. Let's face it. They had to go through the Josh McCowns of the world. They didn't want to be caught with their pants down anymore in case that franchise quarterback got hurt. They thought they could at least have a better backup. I think that was purely their motivation. I don't think it was that they thought that Jalen Hurts could be the quarterback of a Super Bowl team. And I'll go to my grave thinking that. Now, it worked out. So I, I got no skin in the game at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm yelling into a tunnel. At this point, my words mean nothing because he evolved into the franchise quarterback and Carson Wentz, a forgotten entity who evolved into a journeyman. So either the, the Eagles were, were superior intelligence to the fact that, that, that to the point where they were almost AI, artificial intelligence, not Allen Iverson, or, or I'm just a flat, flat idiot. So you, you could take your pick. And I know most people would say the flat idiot is the choice that I would go with. All right. Uh, Hassan Reddick's return to Philadelphia. It's one of the most amazing stories that I've seen. Now, I've covered sports for, for a lot of years. Now, the fact that he was available at first made me question it. Like, you know, this guy's such a great pass rusher. I mean, he's just now they're peddling him. And I, and I didn't know that he was going to be this monster man that he, that he was this year. If they knew it, my God, again, I tip my cap to the Eagles coaching staff. I tip my, my cap to the talent evaluators, to Howie Roseman, because this guy – has come back with a vengeance. 16 sacks in the regular season, three and a half into the playoffs. He has just been one of the most productive players I've ever seen this town acquire. I mean, let's face it. You can go there. It's a very small list of guys that they've acquired, either in free agency or trade, that have paid these kind of dividends. So uh, I'm going to throw a bonus on Reddick. He's made an incredible defense for this team. Uh, all right, let's go to Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham is the survivor. He has survived four head coaches. He came off a serious injury to come back and have his best season. That gets my attention. That's the comeback player of the year if I ever saw one, and he got snubbed. So uh, Brandon Graham, believe it or not, is one of only seven players left from the Super Bowl team of 2017. Now, my producer, Darren, who's the great historian of Eagle sports. Darren, he is one of seven left from that Super Bowl team. Who are the other six? I would say most of them are on the offensive line. So Lane, Sayamalu, Kelsey are three. Um, Cox is four. Lane is not one of them. Lane Johnson is not one of them. He was drafted by the Chip Kelly regime. You said the Super Bowl, 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I know I, that. I was, so was Cox, by the way. He was also drafted yeah, by that. Uh, all right. Okay, so go ahead. Lane. So, you got Lane, Sayamalu, Kelsey. Graham mm -hmm. is obviously one of them. He's four. Cox is five. Mm -hmm. cool. um, Cox is five. I'm thinking along that defensive line. Uh, I will say, well, he's on the roster. So Barnett. No. 
Barnett was on that Super Bowl roster. Okay, yeah, but he's not on the because roster. Because he's on IR. You're not, you're not considering him. Okay. Right. Um, well, I'll make it easy for go you. Ahead. Go ahead. Go to the kicking game. Uh, well, Elliot and uh, the long snapper, whatever his name yeah. is. <laughs> yes, yeah, the long snapper. So, yeah. so there you go. Uh, there you all go. right, let's move on. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna throw a bone to you. Okay. You've been a big fan of Reed, uh, Reed Blankenship. Um, <laughs> Very the kid good. we knew nothing about. He's yeah. made a difference. Very good. When they had to fill in, he survived it, uh, and he even made a, uh, a he busted up Debo Samuel in garbage time in this game. So I had about six people tweet me by the way when that happened. Yeah, I just <laughs> want to throw a bone to Reed Blankenship today as as a storyline. Uh, Let's also make part of the storyline of defensive tackle rotation. This is a stroke of genius, man. They were weak at defensive tackle. They were they were really leaking oil because Fletcher Cox had been wearing down. And what, the way you get more production out of him is that you fortify the position. You make him part of a more of a bigger rotation so he's fresher. Uh, Hargrave and Cox have been backed up by Linville Joseph and Sue. Uh, and uh, Johnson's been in there. I think that those acquisitions, they were able to bleed enough out of those guys. Uh, and it's a masterstroke uh, on what they did. Um, uh, let's talk about uh, Andre Dillard. Now, he hasn't been a big part of this thing, but they've trusted him enough to come in to play left guard when the the, the game, the perennial, not perennial, but game by game injury, Landon Dickerson gets injured every game. I never seen anything like it. The guy looks like he's got one leg. He's hanging off, and, and he goes on the sideline, and he comes back in. I mean, this guy is a beat-up guy from, from there. So he got beat up again. Here comes Dillard to play to a couple downs and, and, and make it survive. Uh, and so, again, the depth that they have developed by Howie Roseman has been a, a, a miraculous story. So let's go to Howie. You know, I'm always on the fence with Howie, and, and I, I always have to get past his perception of what he is. He's not a, a bona fide football guy. We are so used to having bona fide football guys in charge. This guy's not. And so I always question, I go, well, Howie Roseman's sitting there with a football guy, and Howie's looking at, te- at film. Like, how's Howie making a better judgment than the football guy who actually know, knows what he's doing? It's always perplexed me, but I don't care anymore. Because whatever, what, however he's doing it, he did it the right way. Now, a lot of them have been cover-ups from mistakes, and he's made a lot of mistakes. But I, I can't argue with the fact that not only did he cover it up, he made the team better by adding these particular people to fill in the weak positions. I don't know how he got C.J. Garner-Johnson, but that dude is a motherfucker, and, and he can play, and they need to keep him. He makes such a big difference out there. He is a ball player. So the acquisition of C.J. Garner-Johnson has been amazing to me. The problem with that, though, Mike, is you're, you're only going to pay one guy out of Bradbury or Gardner-Johnson because they're both going to take on big-time salaries. They're both going to get paid for their position. So what's more valuable? To me, Bradbury is, after Reddick, the most important acquisition they made because he's allowed the defense to sit back and, and, and pin their ears back most of the time because with him and Slay back there, they're golden. Gardner Johnson has been out of this world, but he's a safety, and it's a less important position in the defense, and it's not a position that normally gets paid. So if you're going to pay one of those guys, do you pay Bradbury or do you pay Gardner Johnson and use that first-round draft pick on a quarterback? I'm not paying Bradbury. In fact, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to use that first pick on a corner, and I know exactly who it is. It's Joey Porter from Penn State. 
And that's who you're going to take with the 10th pick in the draft. There's no need to keep Bradbury. There is a need to keep C.J. Gunnar Gunson. He's a lot younger than Bradbury. They can replace Bradbury with a stud draftable corner like Joey Porter, who's got size and speed. That's why I'm doing it. I can't keep everybody. I know you're a Bradbury guy. There's no reason to re-sign Bradbury. There's no reason. He's now approaching 30 years old. And uh, you, you, he, he could be a casualty. This they got what they wanted out of him. That's fine. You're gonna have to make some changes. And when you pick ten, and you can grab the top corner in the draft, you're good. All right. All right. Yeah, we'll see. Here we go. Okay. Uh, now let's move on to uh, Nick Sirianni. You know, uh, uh, I, I guess this, this is a form of a mea culpa, but I didn't think I was alone in the evaluation of Nick Sirianni. I couldn't imagine. Well, you know, when I first saw him and I saw him speak, I couldn't imagine how he was any different in a job interview. And if I owned the team and I was the general manager and this guy came in talking that kind of talk, there's no way I could have hired him. I guess I was wrong uh, because Nick Sirianni has evolved. Now, he still has a little bit of that bratty, young punk thing in him, but I think he's evolved to the point where he's a pretty damn good coach. I didn't see it for miles that he would be this kind of a coach that could take a team to the Super Bowl in his second year. I just didn't see it, and I was wrong. So this is my mea culpa because I judged him with this happy horse shit that he came in with, and uh, I guess I missed the big picture like a lot of people missed the big picture. So I'm here to say this dude won this many games with this team, which I didn't expect, I didn't see coming at all, uh, that he put this thing together and had good enough coordinators in sync with him to win all these games. And the only reason they lost two games is because they had a backup quarterback going at that time. Uh, that's pretty amazing. So this guy, to me, it was a crime that he was not in the top three for coach of the year. And I think if you had to redo the vote, I think that he might be the coach of the year. <laughs> and, I, you know, I know Brian Dable got the New York hype. I know Shanahan is the wonderkin. I, I, I get all that stuff. But not to have Nick Sirianni involved in this. And, and I, Doug Peterson's the flavor. I, you know, Doug Peterson gets a lot of acclaim because he's Doug Peterson. And he's a nice guy. And he won a Super Bowl before. And Yeah, I think he got the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs. That's better than what this guy did. I mean, you got to be kidding me. This guy's got this team in the Super Bowl. He absolutely should have been the coach of the year. All right. Uh, those are my storylines. Now, I have some lingering thoughts here. I'm going to attach on to this. Lingering thoughts. Uh, Jalen Hurts. I don't want to be negative here. But uh, he didn't look very good last week. He didn't look good throwing the ball. And uh, his ball had a different tra- trajectory. It was more up in the air than it was on a line. And I think that was because of arm strength. When you don't have the requisite arm strength, you're trying to to, to, to sail it more, and to, therefore the ball goes more up in the air so you can get more height and more, uh, more distance on the ball rather than just shooting it out of your hand on the line. So that worried me a little bit. What worried me, he had a 4.8 yard per attempt, which is his lowest of the season. So hopefully uh, the, the, two, the two weeks will give him enough uh, of uh, a healing process where he can come out and throw the ball uh, because he's going to have to in this game. Um, I know the Eagles have a great defense. That Kansas City team, is, I don't know how they do it, but they're going to score. And it, it doesn't matter who they have on the field. This quarterback is a wizard, and they're going to score some points. So the Eagles are going to have to match uh, some scoring. Uh, all right, lingering thought. Trent Williams. 
Ragdoll Kevon Wallace. I mean, that was a WWE move. I ever saw one. That big dude. And there are a lot of people saying that Sue stepped to him. And that Trent Williams wanted nothing to do with Sue. I ain't buying that for a second. Trent Williams didn't want to get suspended at that point and turned into a docile bear instead of a hostile bear. And and so whatever Sue said to him, I don't think uh, meant anything. I think um, that was more of a yokus. Settle down. Than anything yeah, else. But, but people look at it and go, oh, well, Sue, Sue stepped to him. He got real quiet. <laughs> that big dude will throw anybody around. Yeah, that was veteran on veteran going, dude, enough. Okay, let, me, let me just say this. Because when I saw that happen, I immediately got incensed enough to say, well, man, they should, those Eagles should be firing off the sideline at him. And, and then uh, Seth pointed out, you, you know, those guys are coached. They can't go off the sidelines because, you know, they're going to get suspended. If this was a baseball scrum, you know, the bullpens would have emptied. That's just what I love about baseball. I love those beanball brawls where they all come. All for one, one for all. I love that. And the Eagles, to their credit, they're well coached enough to stay on the sideline. Now, Reddick was close to engaging. He came up the sideline. It was close. But they, uh, the 49ers came up. Because at this point, the 49ers have nothing to lose. The hell, we might as well join the scrum. We're out. We're home fishing. But the Eagles had the discipline to stay out of that, which is pretty remarkable. And that's a sign of a well-coached team, I got to say. Uh, all right. Um, Lane Johnson, miss our post-game show. Uh, we we do the Jacob Meaty post game show, and Lane's a part of it. We have a whole segment with Lane, and from the locker room afterwards, and we're waiting for him. No Lane. Now, there's two sides of this story. From my side, it's like, come on, Lane, you're contractually obligated to join us. You helped the show. The other side of that is they're on the field celebrating. They're smoking cigars. How should I feel about this, Darren? <laughs> you said both sides very well. I mean. Look, if I'm the player, nobody can see the fans don't care because they go to oh, players are celebrating. But it put us in a bind. That's what we have. We pay the guy to be a part of the show. Yeah, he's contract contractually obligated. You're right. But if I'm the player and I'm out on that field with a cigar, and I got the T-shirt and the hat. I'm going, fuck him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out here for a little bit. All right, well, that's what he did. And I don't know what's going to happen for the Super Bowl, whether we're going to have him or not. It would be nice to have him. But if they win or lose, he's got an excuse. They win, they're going to celebrate. If they lose, he's too pissed off to come on. Oh, if they win, he is not coming on. <laughs> unless he, someone brings him. Unless someone walks the phone out to him on the field while the confetti's coming down and says, Lane, talk into here for the next eight minutes. He ain't coming on. All right. Well, uh, here's another thing that uh, uh, another little tidbit. Uh, I noticed Jeffrey Laurie and Howie Roseman on the sideline. Oh, don't forget about us. We did it. <laughs> now I guess I would. I guess I would do the same thing. But they were prominent, man. They wanted to make sure they were in that. The cameras were on them, uh, and I guess they should have. I mean, they, a job well done, and the owner who owns the team. A proud moment. So that doesn't bother me over there. But they made sure they were. They, you know, they. Hey, we're part of the team. So there you go. Uh, here's another uh, question that I asked during the coach. Like, why did Jack Stoll get so many snaps in place of Dallas Goddard when they were in 11 personnel? He was on the field a lot. Now, maybe they thought they needed him more as a blocker than a receiver, that this was a game that uh, Dallas Goddard wasn't going to be needed because we are going to run the football. So maybe that was the mindset. Uh, but Stoll was on the field a lot more than I thought he he uh, would have been or should have been. That's a hundred percent because they were uh, in a run in a run mode, a run first mode. He's a better blocker than Goddard. Uh, and I'll tell you another storyline that's going to go overlooked. 
is that Goddard versus Kelsey in the Super Bowl. That's a good tight end match. Yeah, yeah, it is. But except they're not playing against each other. See, if it was Kelsey, if, 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 if the perfect matchup would have been Travis Kelsey uh, versus uh, Jason Kelsey as a linebacker. Like, if Jason Kelsey was a linebacker, Travis Kelsey was the tight end, then that's a monster matchup, right? Otherwise, it's just kind of lukewarm. All right, Eagles, two and a half point favorites. Would you get the bet down now? Would you wait? I think it's shrunk to a point and a half today at some point. It doesn't matter. If it's under three, you take it. They're going to win the game. Okay. I'm fully confident they're going to win the game. Three is the magic number. And normally with a Super Bowl or even with the AFC and NFC title games, you don't take, you just take pick the winner. The line rarely comes into play. But three is the magic number. You get under three, you slam it if you're, if you're betting the birds. All right, another lingering thought. Brock Purdy, on our last podcast, I said, boy, Brock Purdy better have a torn UCL and need Tommy John surgery for him not to go back in that game. And lo and behold, that's what happened. He's got a torn UCL. The only people that, you know, this notion that it can be fixed in some other way, it can't. All right. So either he's not going to have surgery and hope it heals naturally, which is going to take seven months, or you can have the Tommy John surgery and he won't be able to throw in six months. The torn UCL is the torn UCL. It needs Tommy John surgery to be reattached. So it, it looks like Brock, it, San Francisco had a problem. Now they don't because they can just give the job to Trey Lance at this point and then sign another backup because Purdy's not going to be available the whole next year. And by that time, Trey Lance may develop into a franchise quarterback, which might make Brock Purdy a forgotten entity in San Francisco. That he played this small window, and he'll be one of those stories, ah, it's a shame, yeah, tour his, uh, his UCL, and uh, you know that was the rest of his career. Uh, and it's a shame for the kid. But a UCL is a UCL. You need Tommy John surgery. Now, maybe not like a baseball pitcher as far as the rehab goes, but uh, six, seven months is going to probably cost you an entire season. Uh, And one last thing. We know that uh, Jalen Hurts grooves to Anita Baker. We all have in our life. Anita Baker's a legend. So the fact that he was an Anita Baker fan and he chills out Anita Baker music in his headphones – Enable the Eagles to make a nice play here and get Anita Baker to uh, sing the national anthem. Now, I listened to the national anthem, Anita Baker, and I don't mean any disrespect, but at, Darren, I want to ask you from one to 10, what was the number? On her performance? Yeah. Don't make me, don't make me rip Anita Baker. She's a national treasure. I'm going to go six. I'll t- I got a bigger I, flaw for you in a minute, but go ahead, finish your thought. Well, finish your, what was it? Six? The bigger flaw, I had. A, I have a six, but, and, and people down at the stadium noticed another flaw in that presentation. Okay. Which was an enormous rip in the American flag that was stretched over oh, the really? field. Oh, it was bad. Wow. When they pulled it taut, it wasn't as bad, but you, I mean, it was a huge hole and that's everybody's looking at each other. Like, everybody see this? And yeah. then she comes out and starts singing and it's a little subpar. I'm going to go well, six it, on the needle. Listen, I will say this, that you people, you're used to my honesty. I, I don't hold back anything. And I don't, I, I, Anita Baker is a legend in my mind, but the performance wasn't that great. And I, and I, and frankly, I expected better. And I think most people that watched it expected a little better, but that's beside the point. She's an absolute legend. All right. Those are my lingering thoughts. Can I add one thing to that? Yeah, the yeah. halftime shows at the last at these playoff games have been less than subpar. I mean, you got to come up with better halftime acts. Bring me the frisbee dogs. Don't give me a Christian rapper. Don't give me whatever they had last week. I mean, it was it's been really 
I'm going to be nice and say subpar. Yeah. That's my that's my only thing I want to add to that. It's the Mike Yosinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty, everybody. It's the Mike Yosinelli Podcast, and we continue with a very, very special guest, the VIP in Philadelphia football. And uh, I'm privileged enough to do a show with him, an Eagles postgame show. I've been covering the Eagles for a lot of years now in this city. Uh, first with Comcast Sportsnet, then with NBC Sports Philly, and now does his own Jacob Media show and part of, a, of, a, of I think, the best post-game show that's out there in the market, uh, uh, Jacob Media. We do it live at Ocean Casino, Seth Joyner, uh, and my next guest, he is the great Derek Gunn joining us. D-Gunn, how you feeling? Hey, man, how you doing, man? Good to hear from you. <laughs> well, I'm doing okay. We're all doing okay, I guess. Well, at least we have, we have one more post-game show to go. Uh, it's been a really interesting season, and uh, I, I, for one, did not know where this season was going, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the season, it developed like, yeah, well, maybe, maybe it's going to go to the Super Bowl. So, now that they are waiting to play Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, try to put this season in perspective. I know that's a pretty vague question, but but try to put it in perspective for me. I think you have to start with the offseason. That's where all the wow factors begin. Uh, with the way Howie Roseman assembled this team from back in last March, uh, Hassan Reddick, the draft day uh, blockbuster with A.J. Brown. They continued on and on. I mean, you get the likes of C.J. Gardner-Johnson, James Bradbury, my goodness, Kazir White. And then once you identified during the season that uh, you had a weakness in run defense, to go out and get two behemoths like Indomica Sue and, and Linville Joseph. So um, it, it all started there. And when you sat back and you look at what Howie put together, we initially thought that Howie was building a team for the future. Jalen Hurts, a year removed from being a starter for the first time. We didn't know how much he would improve. We, we all had these questions in the offseason about what he was going to be like. For me anyway, early in the season, he checked off all the boxes. You know, reading defense, arm strengths, um, uh, uh, ability to be a leader. Everything was checked off. It just fell into place like dominoes, man. And, and to watch what this team went through this season was a thing of beauty. And Mike, you know, the most impressive thing is how healthy this team stayed. You know, they had some nicks here and there, but along the way, they were still one of the most, if not the healthiest team in the NFL. And as we sit here now going into a Super Bowl, they have all 22 starters available. That's unheard of at this point of a season. Um, so the, the fact that they assembled this super team, unlike what happened before with the <laughs> Namdi Asamoahs and the Javon Curses that didn't work out, this thing has been picture perfect from start to finish. Yeah, it's a great point because normally in this city, things don't go picture perfect. Uh, and and th- that that makes this season and this team so different in my mind. Um so let's break it down a little bit because let's face it, coming into the season, we didn't know what the quarterback was. We didn't know what the defensive coordinator was. We really didn't know that much about the head coach. Uh, you know, they they really found a way to rebound the, the last year when they started out two and five, and then they they really they zeroed in on here's the, what the best thing for this team is. We have to run the football, but this year we really didn't have an understanding of what they were going to be all about. So let's just start with the quarterback and, and what your impressions were when you watched the kid develop this year? Um, the poise for 24 years old, the leadership capabilities, the execution, 
uh, far and above beyond his 24 years of age. This is one of the most mature 24-year-olds uh, I've watched blossom um, from a professional athlete. And then as you get to hear his story, he's always been like that, this, this leader. I think he would be the consummate poker player. You don't know what he's thinking because for the most part, his emotions never change. You know, he gives you a quote every now and then, uh, but for the most part, he stays true to his vest. But you can tell automatically his guys rally around him. He's one of the youngest guys in the locker room, yet he has one of the older demeanors in that locker room. And these guys rally around him. They Whatever he says goes, you know. And that's, you know, when you think about it, Mike, look at the veterans that he steps into a huddle with. I mean, future Hall of Famers, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, so on and so forth. And it's like that old commercial E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton talked, people listen. When Jalen Hurts steps into a huddle, dudes automatically listen. But you have to have a certain pedigree. You have to prove yourself. I think they saw that from the end of last season, even though they got embarrassed by Tampa Bay in the playoffs. I think they saw that from the offseason, the OTAs, the mini camps, the training camp, and it just carried forward. To watch this young man perform the way he has has been a thing of beauty. And his body strength, he's not, he's to me, he's like a running back with quarterback attributes, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about quarterbacks squatting 600 pounds. That's unheard of for a quarterback. You're lucky if they can squat 250, 300, man. But you see it when the way he carries himself, breaking tackles. And so, and he does, he's smart enough not to take these direct hits. He's everything you want in a leader, both on the field and off the field. He's obviously been coached very well. It's it's really strange because I I have never seen a demeanor like this. And uh, you know there there are like he is so ultra serious that I almost wish he would be a little goofier. Like he's the anti McNabb, and uh, he's more like Joe Montana, but even more serious than Joe Montana because Joe Montana didn't really look that aware, even though you knew he was aware. And then there's the Brett Favre type of guy who gets success that way. Um, I, what is this a product of? I, I assume it's a product of having a father as a coach and then along the lines having great coaches that he's developed with. Well, you look at look at his journey. You know, you start with his father being a coach and he's talked about how his father basically groomed him to be what he has become today. You play at the premier college football program in America at Alabama. Things don't work out. You go to Oklahoma and, you know, another big-time program, you excel there. So you excelled at two major Division I schools. And I think the coaching staffs around him um, also contributed to making him who he is in terms of how to handle himself in front of the media, um, how do you address your teammates. If you want to be that leader, you have to act like that leader. You have to perform like that leader. You know, not everybody's built to be a leader, Mike, you know. Um, and he has carried that, that that torch very well. So he's been well-groomed in terms of uh, what we see of him today. And again, I mean, think about what you were like at 24. I was like at 24. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're still, we're still trying to figure out life. And I'm sure he is to a certain degree. You know, but could you, could you have been that type of leader at 24? You know, to be, if you were being honest with yourself, I know I couldn't. I, I wouldn't have wanted that responsibility, to be quite honest, you know. It, it, it's a rare trait uh, for someone to be able to do that and want to do that as well. And, and, and the other side of it is, and we just kind of hashed out his mental side, but the other side of it is the physical side. Because when we looked at him, 
we go, all right, he can do certain things here. He can run that that, that kind of a, a read option offense, but he's eventually in this league going to have to make throws. And uh, it was like magic from one year to the next that he was able to make these throws. Now, is is that attributable to the fact that he had better weapons around him and an offensive line that made him more secure, or is it a product of just – that vast improvement from one year to the next throwing a football. All of the above. I mean, it starts with him. You know, we heard the story about he goes to the West Coast and work with these quarterback gurus to to learn what he needs to improve there. He takes what he learned there, and he goes back to the Novacare Complex. He's studying film. He's going over what his strengths and weaknesses are with Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen. Then he starts to implement some of these things in the OTAs back in May and in, in June. And it carries over to training camp. You know, the work ethic, from what we've heard about this young man, is second to none. That's how serious he is. Um, Prime example, when the regular season ended and Nick Sirianni gave his guys some time off, Jalen Hurst tells the coach, I'll be in there Monday to look at film. You know, there's no stopping with this guy, no matter how good he's gotten. He understands you can never stop improving. And that's what he does, man. He's all he's all about his business. He's not settled with who he is and what he's achieved at this point. He's always looking for that extra measure to get better. And, and that's exactly what you want, Mike. You know, you know, we always chastise Howie Roseman over the years for the inconsistencies in his drafts. This dude hit a home run with this guy. Think about when he was drafted, we're wondering. Why are you drafting a quarterback in the second round when you have a franchise guy named Carson Wentz? What are you doing? I mean, that took that took this region by storm. You know, what's how we doing? Wasting another draft pick. You know, lo and behold, I'm sitting here today thinking the Eagles organization saw something in Carson Wentz that led them to believe they have to make this move now to prepare for what's to come. And you think about the transition. Was it bumpy in 2021? Yes, but more importantly, we saw a tremendous promise in the future. And because of what he did in the off season and what we we've seen him do this regular season, as he's applied all those methods, man, you talk about a slam dunk in, ter- in terms of drafting this kid. It's been a slam dunk for Howie. Yeah. Now, you know, maybe they got lucky in doing that, but it, at this point it doesn't really matter no, uh, no. what their motivation was or, or, or how it transpired. Uh, all, all that we should know now is that they got a quarterback in the Super Bowl. You know, I, I don't, I don't mean to cut, I don't mean to cut y'all, Mike. But here's the thing: we say he, how he got lucky. Why this particular guy? Why in the second round when they had other needs? So I, I, I can't put it in a luck category. This was a strategic move. I don't even think they knew exactly what Jalen Hurts would be today, but they saw some promise in him. I think this was. I think this was a deliberate move. And I think as their scouts and all the front office sat down and analyzed, if we're going to make this move, who would be, who would fit all the criteria of what we're looking for if we eventually make a switch down the road? They arrived at this young man. You don't take a quarterback in the first or second round when you already have a so-called franchise quarterback unless you have some plans for this kid in the future. And lo and behold, as we've watched this whole scenario unfold, that's exactly what happened. All right, let's uh... – Let's look now. You brought up Howie because I, I want to discuss this. You've covered Howie Rosen for for a lot of years, um, and uh, you know the, the narrative 
after he fixed some things was, oh, well, he just has to cover up for, for his mistakes. Here's the thing that confuses me about Howie, because I look at him and I go, okay, he's not a football pedigree guy. He's been in the business for a long time. And it's hard for me to look at a guy like Howie Roseman looking at film and saying, that guy can play, that guy can't play. So is Howie Roseman the truth? Or, or, or is he more a product of, of the people around him, the scouts and such? Um, in your observation, like what, what kind of a GM is he? I think if you look at his last two drafts, I think he is the truth. But Howie Roseman had a lot of learning to do along the way. Um, I think Howie was a little hesitant to take a lot of advice. He would take certain advice from all the scouts they'd have, but then he would implement his own ideology. And sometimes it was a hit and sometimes it was a miss. But over the last two drafts, and how he admitted this himself, he had to step back, take a look at himself, and maybe listen a little bit more to people around him. Um, earlier last year in, in May, Mike, we had um, Howie on our show Sports Take on the Jacob Sports Media Network. And one of the things that really shocked us and tickled us in a lot of ways was you know, when we asked him about why did you t- all con- consistently neglect taking players from the SEC, you know, and he said that was on him. He said, but when your owner says, you know what, we need to get some more of these guys from the F- SEC, he said, and he said his grandfather said, why don't you have more of these guys from the SEC? He said, you know, you, you, you better start listening to some of these things and look at the last two drafts. He started drafting these guys from the I call the triple A of the NFL from Alabama and programs like that. And then you look, he's starting to get players from Georgia now. So how he's learned, how he's had to evolve, how he had to grow, how he had to eat a little crow. You think about what happened to him, go back to the Chip Kelly era. That was embarrassing for him to be excommunicated like that by his mentor and his friend, Jeffrey Lurie, you know, and cast aside for this wonder kid coach. But he came out of that. He was more humble. Um, you, you could tell that he changed He changed the complexion of a scouting department, felt he needed to go in a different direction, and he listens more. So it's, it's, it's him, and it's him listening to a group of people around him better than he ever has before in the last couple of years, Mike. Well, I mean, listen, the additions he made, every one was a home run. No and question. It's hard to believe that you can hit on every single one. When you look at your team, you go, I got a weakness here, I got a weakness here, but I'm going to fill it in with this guy. And, yeah. and, and yeah. everything works. Yeah. I mean, you usually don't see it, except maybe that Robert Quinn didn't work out. But but he fortified the def- when he fortified the defensive tackle yes. position, it gave them a level of consistency that was believable. Yes, no question about it. And the biggest reason he's able to do that is because he has, I believe, his quarterback still on a rookie deal. When you look at these quarterbacks in the game today to get these mega contracts, what happens? It handcuffs an organization in a lot of ways in terms of how they can construct a roster. But Howie, who I think is the best in the business at working the cap, he learned well from Joe Banner. Joe Banner was that capologist. You know, when, when, when the salary cap first implemented itself in the NFL, how he learned his lesson well. And you think, there's no way he can add this guy. There's no way he can add this guy. I mean, think about it. He didn't just add bodies. He added quality starters. Kazir White, Hassan Reddick, Bradbury, C.J. Gardner-Johnson when he pulled off that trade. And then he goes out and gets, he calls us Indomitian Sue out of retirement. Sue wasn't just going to play for anybody. Sue wanted to put himself in a position 
to possibly win another ring. He has two sons. He said, I wanted to win a ring, so I'll have two for my two sons. You know, so the culture that, that's within this organization, the the wealth of talent in this organization um, is second to none. The moves and how he's able to make and move money here and bring players is second to none. And we still sit here. They're on the cusp of winning another Super Bowl. We still sit here wild by what he was able to do to arrive at this point. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Derek, let me go back. We're talking to Derek Gunn, of course. Uh, you, you see him on the, the uh, Jacob Media postgame show and uh, his own show, uh, Daily Basis, on uh, Jacob Media Sports Network. Uh, but you know him uh, from many years covering the Eagles uh, for uh, NBC Sports Philly and uh, Comcast Sportsnet. Uh, and Derek, a little bit about your background, because you, you've now adopted Philadelphia uh, as your town. Uh, you're a Wisconsin native, yep. and I, you worked a lot of years in Pittsburgh. Yep. So uh, this for the people that, that may not know about your background and your career, uh, how did it evolve to the point where you're now a Philly guy? Um, I had to travel a lot of roads, Mike. Uh, my first job in the business was in a town called El Centro, California, out in the middle of, the, of nowhere, California, a desert region. Um, and I've, and I've told this story and, and people are like, what, you know, Mike, so many people in our industry, they go to school to be in broadcasting. If you had asked me back then, name the top 20 things that I wanted to do with my life, being on TV would have been like number 45. I had no desire to be in broadcasting, to be in television, but I was from North Milwaukee and I had a football coach at this small college I went to in California. He was a defensive line coach. He was from South Milwaukee, a guy named Wayne Walsky. Never met the guy before I got there, uh, this Imperial Valley College place, and never uh, seen him since I left there. But he was also my American literature professor. And he, I was one of his better students. And he said, you know, you should write for a newspaper. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't want to write for a newspaper. So I kept telling him no, but he kept trying to get me internships at a couple of newspapers that were there uh, in a small town of El Centro. And, you know, luckily for me, both both said we have nothing available. So I said, I'm, I'm thinking, OK, this this discussion is over. But he says, wait a minute. I have a friend who's the general manager of this small TV station, KECC in El Centro. Let me talk to him. I'm like, yeah, OK, I just blew it off. I'm 21 years old. I, I blew it off. So the next day I get a call and this guy calls me and says, hey, um, you know, I'm a friend of Wayne Walski. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. Can you come in and let's just talk? So I'm thinking, okay, now this was in a Thursday in September of 1979. So I go in, an hour later, the guy goes, you're hired. Now, I was a sports junkie then. I could sit there and talk sports with the best of them back then. An hour later, he goes, you're hired. I said, to do what? He said, you're going to be my sports director, and you're going to give scores and highlights every night on our news. Um, and I said, no, I'm not. I, I told this guy, I said, no, I'm not. He starts laughing. He goes, look, I believe you can do it. You know, um, give it a try. He says, come back in on Friday and just walk around and meet everybody, uh, the front office people, the salespeople, the marketing people, all the technicians, engineers, and then um, we'll start you on that Monday, that following Monday. So I walk out of his office and my heart's in my throat. You know, I'm thinking, I got to find a job in a hurry because I I want an excuse to not show up. I don't know why, Mike, but I went back on Friday. I walk in there. I meet everybody. And a lot of the workers, because it was sm- it's a small station, it was market 169 in the TV market for those who understand uh, television ADIs. Most of the workers were my age, 21, 23, 24, 25. You know, but I'm still thinking, I got the weekend to find a job. I don't care what it is. I'm finding a job. I don't, I don't want to do this. 
before I left the building, the guy goes, how far do you live from here? I said, a couple of miles. Why? He says, go home and get a shirt and tie and a jacket. We're going to put you on the air tonight. I said, what? <laughs> I, I said, what? He goes, yeah, go home. He said, give it a try. So now I'm living with a couple of my buddies. I'm living, one guy's from Detroit. Um, two guys were from um, North Dakota. I go home and make the mistake to tell them. And they're looking at me like, come on, man. Because I was a jokester. Come on, man. You, you're not doing this. I said, I, the guy told me I'm putting, I'm, he's putting me on TV tonight. They called everybody they know. So now it's well known that I'm going to be on TV tonight. And, and lo and behold, I go back. I don't know how to write a TV script. I don't know how to read a prompter. Nothing. I've got like four hours. They're giving me a crash course on how to do this. It got to a point. Somebody had to jump in and help me finish writing a script. I had to, I got a chance to, to, to work a teleprompter for about 15 minutes before I had to go on live, my first live show. I went on and lo and behold, it was like follow-ups, bleeps, and blunders. You know, I'm stuttering like Sylvester and Tweety. I get home that night after doing two newscasts. My buddies are laying on the floor crying, laughing. Said, dude, you got, dude, this is not for you. This is definitely not for you. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, I got, and, and now I'm ticked off because I actually did it and it's and it stunk. So I've got the weekend and I'm thinking, I don't care if it's a job at Kmart, gas station, restaurant. I got to find something. I couldn't find a job over the weekend. I go back Monday. And I keep going back and I keep going back. And I'm telling you, Mike, for the first five years of my business, I was there for about a year and a half. And after a year and a half, you start seeing coworkers move on to different jobs, Tucson, Arizona, places like that. So I said, let me just see. Now, now keep in mind, I'm still thinking I got to get out of this industry. Um, I start sending out 100 resume letters and about 88 tapes. Everyone I get back is a is a standard, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Um, you know, we appreciate you having interest in us, but we don't have anything to fit your skill. Basically, me and you ain't ready. I even sent one to a TV station in Tucson called KGUN. I'm thinking, that's a slam dunk. K-Gun, <laughs> Derek Gunn working for K-Gun. I got to know from them. So just when I'm still thinking, I'm out of this business, I get a phone call from NBC in San Diego, which is an hour and 45 minute drive over the hill. News director says, hey, I'm a new news director, Tom Mitchell. I'm changing the complexion of, of my, my staff. Uh, I want to go younger and, and more energetic. We saw your tape. Um, we know you're a little raw, but we'd like to work with you. I jumped on that job. I went from making $750 a month, Mike, to like $22,000 a month. I thought I was rich moving to San Diego then, okay? And I'm still thinking, I got to get out of this business, you know? And I love San Diego. You know, um, I got married while I was working there. My wife is from that valley that I left, and I promised her mom. I said, I'll never take your daughter away from the California. And my, and my mother-in-law was like, you know, he's going to take you away. Five months after we got married, Mike, there's an opening in my hometown, uh, WITI CBS in Milwaukee, and the news director was a woman named Jill Geisler, who I've watched growing up. She was a very well-known reporter, anchor. She was now the news director, and she was looking for somebody who knew Milwaukee sports. And so she saw my tape, and she immediately jumped on it. So I said, "Hun, let's go to Milwaukee. My family's there. You get to know my family a lot better. So five months after we got married, I take her from the paradise that is San Diego and move her to the frigid Midwest that is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm thinking, this marriage ain't going to last long. <laughs> but, you know, she's a good trooper. She stuck it out. And then we go from there to NBC in Pittsburgh. And after putting in 10 years there, lo and behold, I'm on vacation with my family. And my agent calls me and uh, says, 
you must be living right. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you've had three offers in the last 24 hours. I said, okay. Uh, one was from another station uh, in Milwaukee. One was from uh, uh, the station in Detroit. And one was from this company called Comcast Sportsnet that was just starting. And so I, my agent said, you know, you really should look at this Comcast Sportsnet thing. I said, first of all, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. You know, I've been to Philadelphia covering sports. I don't want to go to Philadelphia. And it had nothing to do with Philadelphia. I just didn't want to go to Philadelphia. My wife said, you should, you got to take a look at this opportunity. So we loaded up the kids. We were in a minivan in California. We loaded up the kids, drove all the way back across the country. I went to the interview the next day. It took us about three or four days to get home. And here I am. When, wow. when we got here, Mike. It's, a, it's an amazing journey in that uh, you have to move your family along with us. A lot of people on TV have had to do this, yeah. again, and they yeah. climb into, into bigger markets. So once you are settled in Philadelphia, and you're obviously a, a permanent resident here now, uh, what do you notice about the sports climate in covering sports in Philly? What do you notice here that's different than where you've been? I equate it to this, and I've heard other people say this. Um, it's like a big family. When, you, when you're a Philadelphian, you can talk about that family, but nobody on the outside looking in better talk about their family because even though they've said what people on the outside looking in have said, it's different when they say it than some outsider says it. You won't find a more passionate, more knowledgeable fan base uh, than the city of Philadelphia. They wear their emotions on the se- their sleeves. They live, die, eat, sleep, breathe Philadelphia sports. Um, and they take a lot of pride in their teams and a lot of disappointment when those teams don't excel. And they all sit back and analyze like we do. The difference is we get paid to analyze. They do it for free. Um, I love the passion in the city. Uh, win, lose, or draw. They are in the arenas, and I'm talking, I don't care if it's the Flyers, the Phillies, Sixers, Eagles, obviously is the king of sports in Philadelphia. These fans are loyal to their teams come hell or high water. Uh, I want to just ask you a quick, like your methodology and cover, because you did it very well for a really long time where you got great interviews with people and you were able to, to bond with players in order to get really good stuff. Um, what is your blueprint for that? So, cause sometimes you can go over the line. Sometimes you have to straddle the line. So they have to trust you, yeah. but you also have to ask the, uh, the proper question. Yeah. How did you balance all that? Honesty and humility. Um, I think that's what separated me from a lot of people, not just here, but in Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, San Diego, so on and so forth. Um, it, it was honesty and humility. You know, Mike, Athletes always look at people in the media with a cross eye because they always think you're trying to get something on them. Okay. Um, first, the, the first thing you do is you, you identify one or two people who are, who are similar to you in a lot of ways. And for me, it was guys that would like to be jokesters and, and things like that. And when I first got here, it was the likes of the, the Bobby Taylors, the Troy Vincents, you know, so you yuck it up with them and you learn something about them. I always tell people, if you're going to do this business properly, do your homework. You know, there are a lot of us in this industry that think it's enough to just to be on TV or be in radio and just stick a mic in somebody's face. And that's how you build your resume. Well, if you want to separate from yourself, uh, separate yourself from the others, you have to do your homework. And when I say that, find out something about individuals that you may have a common bond with, whether it could you could be from their hometown. 
You may like to fish, hunt, draw, music, music, whatever the case may be. You may have been in a city that they're from, and you know something about that city. You have to find some icebreakers to get people to warm up. And then once they start to warm up to you, they start to tell you little things. And they tell you, now you can't talk about this, but I'm just telling you. That's, that's the trust factor. And then once they find out they can trust you, they start to tell you things that they want you to get out there anonymously. And that's the same way it was with front office people as well. You know, once I was able to break that barrier of I'm not, I'm not like everybody else. And, and here's why. They start to tell you little things. And then when people start to leave, it's like a passing of the baton. Because when new people come into a market like Philadelphia, this is not like Buffalo, Cincinnati, or Green Bay, where you have 10, 15 people in your face every day. Here you have anywhere from 20 to 40, 50, football, minimum 45, 50 people in your face every day. Every day. And athletes want to know, who can I trust? And God will say, hey, man, that dude over here is one of the dudes you can trust. And, I, and Mike, I'm telling you, there have been times when I've walked up to new people and after I've interviewed them in a scrum, sometimes I'll stick around and just try to break ice and say, hey, man, yeah, I heard about you. I heard I can trust you. And and so so honesty, integrity, humility go a long way in terms of, to, to answer your question, why I was able to get certain things out of a lot of athletes. And it wasn't always roses, Mike. There have been times when, I, when I've had to say something and do something. You know, they would watch me on TV and some would catch me and say, hey, man, I can't believe you said that about me. I thought we were boys. And my response to them has been, tell me what I said that you already didn't answer, already didn't say about yourself. And they look at you and like, yeah, you got a good point. And we just move on. I've never had a blow up. Now, you know who I'm talking about when I say this. In this market in particular, Mike, there have been several people, reporters, that get in confrontations with athletes and they get verbal and they get loud. Anything that I've had that could possibly have been a confrontation was smoothed over by that one question. Tell me what I've said was inaccurate. And that's that's where it's ended. And because I've used that approach is why even today I still have the ability to get certain things from people that other people can't because they know that there are certain things I will tell and a a lot of things I won't. Mike, I I, I put it like this in a nutshell. For every story that I've broken for every big interview I've gotten, there's probably 50 other things that would make better stories that nobody will ever know about because of that loyalty factor that I've, that I've been entrusted with, with players and with front office people. So it's a balancing act for you that you, you, uh, you'll get, you'll get the better stuff by being a certain way. Um, and, 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 and like, cause some people will cross that yes. line. You know, there's some reporters that just want to uh, cozy up the people yes. and, and, and don't want to offend them at all. And they're, therefore they, they avoid asking the tough question that needs to be asked. Absolutely. absolutely. Mike and, and Mike, I tell you, there've been times many, many times in the 26 years I've been here in Philadelphia, when I've been told, Hey, don't you can't say anything. And then later that day, next day, next week, some national pundit breaks the story. And I'm like, Doggone it! I'm, you know, and, and I'll tell my circle of people, "Hey, this is coming," and they know. And I'm like, "Doggone it!" And I'll go back to that subject. See, somebody else broke it, and they'll tell. Look, I know, but I got something for you later. Just, just be patient. So it's it's give and take, you know. Um, 
Derek, just in closing, I want to talk about our our little show together, which I've had just like a blast. And I kind of knew from the star when we put this thing together, the post-game show, which you can see on 6abc.com. Every week we have one more show left, which if you haven't seen it yet, you should. But um, the the interesting part of the show is uh, how we bond with Seth Joyner. And, uh, you know, we've got to the point where – our, our viewing of the actual game yeah. really should be videoed and uh, packaged <laughs> and sold ads to because that's really an, an interesting part where, like, we're going back and forth with Seth. Oh, come on, Seth, you, you're full of crap. <laughs> and and like, he comes back at, oh, no, 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 you know, with I that know. gruff, gruff. Yeah. Like, try, try to describe what this year has been like doing this, this show. Um, I, I had never worked with you before, but I knew your resume. I knew your body of work. And, and when, when Joe Krause asked me about it, I said, that's going to be a slam dunk. I've known Seth a long time, having worked with him at NBC. So I know what Seth was going to be like. You know, Seth is the authority, uh, authority, you know, and we're the outsiders. We don't know a lot of times what we're talking about. But, Mike, I'm like, I'm like that big little brother. As you know, I like egging him on. I like getting under his skin, you know, to get him going. And then at some point he'll stop and go, Deacon, I see what you're trying to do, you know. But especially on the show when we're live, I'll get under his skin on purpose. But um, it's funny you said that said that because I honestly thought, and I mentioned this to Joe Krause, the CEO of, of um, you know, Jacob Media. I said, you really should have a camera in the green room when we're watching games. I think that's better than the actual show. And we put on a doggone good show. But I think that, and sure enough, as you just said, we sat there, man, and that's more comical and more, in a lot of ways, more insightful. The language is a lot more colorful, but I think that would make just as good a sideshow as the actual two-hour show that we do for postgame. It's fun. I think it's funny, man. Yeah, he's so consistently old school that... Yeah, back in my day, that wasn't a penalty. I mean, come on, Seth. The year's 2022, okay? And we, we just get under And it's funny because uh, he does say, I see what you're trying to do, but he doesn't do it until after the fact. Yes, like yes. His initial instinct is yes. that we're challenging his yes, authority. Yes. And he comes right out. He's right and we're wrong, know. yes. you know, And I love it. And I love it, Mike. Yeah, I think that makes for a better show. You know, because yeah, if, you, if you look at the chat, the man. funny thing is, Mike, if you look at the chat, Everybody, I'm with Seth. You know, it doesn't make a difference what he said. Seth could say the sky is, is chartreuse. I'm with, I'm with Seth. Okay, okay, fine. You with Seth. I understand that. You know, what he did for Philadelphia as a player, what he's meant to the embodiment of profile. I get that. Everybody's, I'm with Seth. But you and I sit there sometimes and we chuckle because I'm saying, we got him going, Mike. We got him going. You know, yeah. <laughs> so. But I don't do we get him going. We know how. But, like, one anonymous guy on social media named Joe Blow yeah, yeah. will we'll get we'll get under. Yes. Like, it's it's amazing how, like, because we've been in business for a long time. Yeah. But we know that stuff's coming. But he takes umbrage with any, like, little Tom, Dick, and Harry who's out there who wants to challenge his authority. And he doesn't let it go. He's just crazy about I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm like, Seth. Why are you acknowledging these people? Because you've given them exactly what they've wanted. They want to be identified. They want to know that you've seen them. What you know? What man? I'm not going to let them get away with that. I mean, but no, he goes this this, 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 MF on, this MF on Twitter is saying, <laughs> "Dude, it's one, it's one guy. It's one. It's one guy. <laughs> it's usually more than one, but there's always one he wants to hone yeah. in on. You know. And I'm like, man, yeah, dude. I ain't here to be no fan. <laughs> I'm here to give my- no, no, his favorite line. I'm not a fan, boy. I'm like. Okay, yeah. but you don't have to. You don't have to <laughs> let these dudes get to you, man. You know when we start when we started this, people are saying, "D Gun, how are you going to handle Mike Missanelli and Seth Joyner?" I said, "What do you mean handle them? 
He goes, well, you know, you, you got to be like the peacemaker. I said, no, I don't. No, no, I don't. They're grown men. And then when Joe said, Diga, I want you in the middle. Have Mike here and I want Seth over there. I said, Joe, I'm going to tell you one thing. If it get, gets above and beyond the call of duty, I will slide my chair back and let him go. I'm telling you right now. And if I feel the need to jump in to, to add a point, I will. But you think I'm going to be a babysitter for two grown men? Yeah, that's not happening, man. If anything, I'm going to enjoy the entertainment. That's what I'm going to do. I've I, I been a saint this year. I just like tweaking him. And, and I'm like, we, we watch this. Like, any minute he's ready to blow. And now with us. it's been a season long. We're doing the show live. Right, right. And there are a lot of drunk, let's face it, a lot of drunken people behind us mugging for the camera. We get all that all the time. And you could just see him turning around ready to just drop it. Hey, look, you know, he, hey, he wants hey, a piece of something. There's a couple of times I thought he was going to get up from his chair and physically remove somebody. I mean, let's face it. Anytime people see live cameras, they're like flies being drawn to a light, you know, they, and they want to do something dumb to say that they were on camera. We've had people do some dumb stuff behind us and Seth in the middle. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. Keep it moving. I'm like, and I'm nudging Seth. I'm like, dude, do not get up from that chair, dude. Do not get up because no matter, even if you're, if you're in the right, go. you know what? You're going to be wrong. See what I'm saying? So here you go. I ain't getting up, man. I'm not going to, I said, dude. But we should have more security there, which we don't. We should. Here's the thing. I've been thinking about that. They don't want the security behind it because they don't want the place to to look like it's a war zone, right? So they let us just go out there because they they don't want the perception that it's dangerous. They want people out there in that that sports park. Okay, but Mike, also. We got to take it. Mike, also, think about this. Some of the guys that we've had a security, really? Are they going to stop somebody, Mike? I mean, seriously. They should be enjoying retirement, some of them. And I understand why they're doing it because they need the extra money. I get it. But you're going to put this dude here. Sometimes a little scrawny dude, a little frail dude. You're going to put this dude here between us and some drunks behind us who, if you egg them on, they're going to get worse and say worse things. Really? You know, you you if yeah. you're going to get security, you need some people big as Seth standing beyond the ropes to deter people from doing things. But oh. it, it's been it's been well, interesting, man. The whole season's been interesting. Yeah, it's been a lot been of fun. It's been man. a lot of fun. Yeah. And we got one more shot at it. So, D-Gun, this is going to marinate for a, for a few days. Okay. Uh, I, I so appreciate you coming on. And um, don't forget to, to watch uh, uh, D-Gun on the uh, – uh, Jacob Sports Media. Uh, every day you're on from uh, what? From twelve to three. Twelve to three. Barrett Brooks, Rob Ellis, and I on Sports Take on the Jacob Sports Media YouTube machine. We have great guests on. Uh, I've had you know, like I said, Howie Roseman, Michael Vick. We've had all the gr- the great writers in the city. We've had Ray Dinger, the Dean of, of Philadelphia Sports. Um, we've had Seth Joyner on. We've had you on. Yeah. You know, so we've had a list, a litany of great guests. Uh, you know, current, former players, and the show has really taken off. Uh, we started uh, April 18th of last year. Not even a year. The the fan base, the loyalty has grown. The show has blown up for them. They're happy with it, and so are we, because, you know, you know, Barrett, Rob, and I, we have a long history together working at NBC Sports, and it, it just, it was a slam dunk to put us together and put, do this show. Well, listen, best of luck. It's been a blast working with you. We got one more, one more show to do, and then uh... – We'll be back next year with it. Uh, hey Mike, thanks Mike. for coming on, D-Gun. Oh, man, anytime for you, brother. But look, last show, Mike, we need to find a way to really get under Seth Seth's skin to go out in a blaze of glory. I mean, it's the last show. We got to find a way. We got. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping not to get under his skin, and, and that means an Eagle Super Bowl win. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll be all happy time. Yeah, but even when they win, you know he's he's not always happy. Even, even if they win, we got to find a way to get under his skin to send this show off in a blaze of glory. 
We have made him immune to criticizing Jonathan Gannon for the last several weeks. Because early on, he was, you know, he was full bore. Are you, are you, are you full on, are you full on the, are you full on the, the Gann wagon now? Are you on the Gann wagan? I've always on the, I, I didn't know why he was complaining all season. I, I looked at the numbers. I go, oh, come on, man. <laughs> you know, all right, maybe he's not, he's not this ultra great. He's not Buddy Ryan. He's not Jim Johnson. He's not Ray Rhodes, but look at the numbers. I, uh, Rob Ellis is, you know, big Gann wagon fan. He's like the president of the Gann wagon. So all season long. As, as, as the defense went up and down, I said, Rob, I'm in the backseat of the wagon. Now I'm hanging off the rails, my feet's dangling in the wind. And then at one point, Rob had to put the wagon uh, in the barn for repairs, you know, when they were getting, you know, bowled over. So he asked me the other day, he says, where are you now, D-Gun on the Gann wagon? I said, I'm sitting in the backseat. I said, I'm not I'm not moving up to the to first class, but I'm in the backseat. I'm in the coach area, Gann wagon. You know, he's turned it around. I got to well. give him his props, so. You're going to have to be at his best against this QB. Yeah, yeah, man. You got always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you. All right, man. You guys take care. It's the Mike Mussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on the Mike Mussinelli Podcast, uh, we want to thank Derek Gunn uh, for coming on. Uh, D Gunn, always a, a, a pleasant listen. And, uh, you know, I like when I have the uh, folks on, I'd really like to get into their background. I think it's really interesting on how they get to, to, to the, the position. And, for Derek Gunn, uh, he was the, not one of these guys that had a desire to be a guy on TV, and that's how his life evolved. A pretty amazing story. It is time for Mike Unleashed. I got a couple things on Mike Unleashed today. So let me start with the football one. Cincinnati Bengals lose the game to Kansas City Chiefs. Field goal wins the game for the Chiefs, uh, and uh, I bet the Chiefs on the money line to win it. So I was happy, but there was one person that really wasn't happy. A couple of his teammates weren't happy either. And it's uh, linebacker Joseph Asai who makes the critical mistake of getting an unsportsmanlike uh, penalty called on him when he pushes Patrick Mahomes, who was running out of bounds. That gave them the 15 yards that they needed for Butker to kick the 45-yard field goal. It'll go down in history as a great blunder. And after the game, uh, obviously reporters are going to want to talk to Joseph Asai about it. Now, this is very touchy ground for a lot of people. Uh, these are professional athletes, and you have the choice to not talk about it, which I probably wouldn't have talked about it if I was Joseph Asai. But the fact that he stood up and talked about it, I thought was really admirable of the kid. He's a younger kid. He was distraught. He was crying on the sidelines. I get it. As a journalist, you still have to get his reaction if he's willing to talk about it. And this is where I, I, I felt the, uh, that it was unnecessary. His teammate, B.J. Hill, is hovering over him as a protector of some sort, as a bully to reporters to make sure that they don't offend Joseph Asai in their questions. Um, this is uh, technically a grown man. Now, I know he's 22 years old, but he's a professional athlete, and that makes him a grown man. Now, you can either stand there and answer the question, or you don't have to answer the question. The fact that he stood up and answered the question is all well and good, but you shouldn't have a bully protector. Now, this is my friend Andrew Brandt. We're going to have him on next week on the podcast. You know Andrew Brandt, uh, uh, the, the great sports uh, law professor at Villanova, and you see him on Twitter. He's all over the place with the issues of sports law. He's fantastic view on Twitter. We're going to have him on, and he's a buddy of mine. In fact, I'm, I'm going to his class, going to attend his class tomorrow and speak at, at his class at Villanova. So um, he tweeted the video of this particular thing, and he wrote, the way B.J. Hill oversees and protects this is heartwarming. 
And I couldn't disagree more that it was heartwarming. I thought it was out of line, frankly. And here, I'll give you a little sample of it. Hopefully, you can hear this. Dumb question. Come on. He, been, he played his butt off the whole game. That's a different question. Overall, I mean, what it looked like guys were coming up to you on the sideline as you went through that. I mean, what was it like having guys come up and, and kind of go? Uh, like I said, it was great knowing that I had my the support of my teammates. And um, I just got to... I gotta, like Sam was saying, I gotta learn from experience, and um, I gotta know not to not to get close to that quarterback when he's close to that sideline. If, if it's anything that could uh, possibly cause a penalty in a dire situation like that, I gotta do better. Things are happening so fast; they're obviously deep. Did you did you have any idea you were you were at that sideline there? I mean, obviously you're in full chase, and you know. Yeah, I was just in full chase mode, and I was trying to um, I was trying to push him to maybe. Um, get him going backwards because I knew he was going for that sideline. I was trying to make him go backwards, get that clock running. But um, I, I didn't know. I, I haven't seen it yet. I didn't know how far out of bounds we were. But, um, yeah. Did you get injured on the play? Yeah, my knee buckled a little bit. But we're um, we're going to take care of him and get an MRI done tomorrow. Which knee? The right knee. What did Zach tell you after the game? Uh, he just told me to keep my head up, told me, um, there were a bunch of different plays we had to make that it didn't come down to that one. And uh, we just got to keep moving forward. What your teammates told you? Same, same exact thing. They've been super supportive. And, um, you know, it's just, I just got, I got, I got to be better, but they, they've been very supportive. How, how hard is that to kind of maybe kind of not put all that weight on you as you go through this? I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's, it's extremely hard, what? man. Come on, man. I'm sure it's tough. Try to ask him about it. That's a better question, bro. So there you go. All right. Ask a better question. So twice, BJ Hall interrupts it. For, uh, ask a better question. Now, it, 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 fans look at this uh, differently than reporters look at it. And this is uh, Mike Unleashed for today. Uh, like Andrew Brandt is a, a guy who's a former general manager in the league. He has empathy for players a lot. He's not a reporter. Okay. Now, a reporter is there for one reason, to get the story. Oh, God. There's the guy that committed the penalty. I've got to get him on the record for my story. Otherwise, I can't ignore it. He's talking to the press. So, therefore, you have to ask some delicate questions to the guy. To have a guy there being a bodyguard to prevent you or to make you think that you have to be cautious in, in asking a question, to me, is offensive to the whole industry of journalism. Uh, it, it, and people, fans look at it like, oh, the media is big, bad media. They're, you know, they're always there to cause trouble. And a guy like even Andrew Brandt would look, oh, they caused trouble. It was heartwarming that the guy stood up for him. The fact of the matter is the journalist is there to bring who the information, the consumer. It's funny how the consumer will always use the information that they get from the reporters who go into the locker room and then have the temerity to, to, to be enemies of the reporters. Where are you getting the information? What is it, falling out of the sky for you? Reporters are giving you the damn information. So if the guy wants to address what he did on that play, the only way you're going to get that information is that the reporter brings it to you. I think it's terribly offensive that that guy was there to bully reporters from trying to ask a question to a guy who made himself willing to answer the question. All right. And I know I'm standing up because I'm a journalist and I've been in that spot before. And the last thing I want is some guy standing over me, ready to hit me over the head with a hammer. If I, God forbid, ask a tough question to somebody. Darren, your thoughts. Uh, you said it right. He, you have to ask him the question. All right. And, and, and I completely agree that the kid 
He's young, but he makes millions of dollars a year. He's a professional athlete. You're a young man. And he was willing to answer the question. He has to either, he has that option. He doesn't have to answer it. He stood up there. He faced the media. There's no need. There is no need whatsoever to have some other player standing over him. It's not a kid. It's not a 17-year-old child. It's not his little brother. Yes. And, and I'm shocked. Like, my friend, Andrew, we, we, we're great buddies. And and he, right, the way B.J. Hill oversees and protects this is heartwarming. It's not heartwarming. I, I didn't get that at all. It, it's heartwarming that the guy talked and was willing to admit what he did it may have been a screw-up. But it's not heartwarming that a bully stands over him to make sure that the reporter doesn't get out of line and ask him a question. I mean, come on. What, what are we doing here? All right. That's Mike Unleashed. Here's the second part of Mike Unleashed today. Bobby Hall passed away. The Golden Jet, one of the great hockey players ever, had the slap shot of over 100 miles an hour before anybody could do that. Started out with the straight stick and then got the curve stick with his teammate Stan Makita and changed the game with the curve stick because that made a slap shot 120 miles an hour. And, and he was one of these guys that was just feared for that slap shot. Um, it's a really funny thing when a man dies, who's got some really bad things in his past. And so this is the Mike Unleashed part for today. Bobby Hull was also, um, controversial in that he had, uh, a well-publicized domestic violence situation where he hit his wife with a steel heeled shoe. Uh, and, 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 uh, he also, in his post-hockey career, once said that uh, Adolf Hitler had some good ideas. He just went a little too far. He also said, boy, the population of black people is growing too quickly in this country. This is a man who doesn't deserve any accolades, okay? Now, uh, he was one of the great players. The Chicago Black he died. Are the Chicago Blackhawks going to honor him with a number nine patch? like a lot of teams do. I think that Bobby Hull's post-hockey career forfeits that and forfeits any kind of adulation from the National Hockey League. Yeah, they're going to have an all-star game coming up. It's this weekend. What do they do in the case of Bobby Hull? The Blackhawks in 2010 cut all ties with the man. They, But they do have a bronze statue in front of their arena of Bobby Hull. They didn't remove that statue. Um, what happens now? He had a job as team ambassador. When all this stuff came to light about his post-hockey career, they took the job away from him. Where is the line drawn between honoring a great athlete who passed away and not honoring a great athlete because of the checkered uh, uh, incidents that he has in his past? All right, three questions, Mike. In the last three months, just the last three months alone, I have been with my daughters to an NLCS game and an NFC championship game. It has been, of all my life, of all the sports events I've been to, I've been to Super Bowls, I've been to World Series. So special for me to be there with my kids. What's the best experience you have ever had at a sports any 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 game any event live while you're there in the house. Well, uh, you know I'm different than most people in that uh, I, I uh, had to leave my fandom at the door for these professional teams once I became a journalist. The only thing that has lingered with me is uh, what most people uh, call their heart, 
and their heart uh, is their college because that is where they became a formative person. They learned a lot about life being on their own in college, uh, and I did. So uh, Penn State, being a a graduate of Penn State University, uh, allows me to keep my heart for that school and hence my fandom. It's why I'm so disappointed now their football team hasn't been able to get to a Final Four. So I have to go back to the game that really bursted my heart. And that was uh, not bursted, but it bursted in joy. And it was obviously the 1986 Fiesta Bowl, which I wound up writing a book on. I was in the house that day. I could not believe that Penn State had beaten Big Bad Miami. And I, I was just literally just my, my, my head was blowing off as I was watching that game, as the game transpired and it was going on and on. And I'm going, are they actually going to win this game? Because I sat down saying there's no chance they win this game. And they, they, they took everybody for a ride saying, my God, is this possible? So the Fiesta Bowl 1986 in uh, Tempe, Arizona, the Sunkiss Fiesta Bowl is absolutely and will be forever in my mind the greatest sports event I ever uh, got, was involved in because it was my heart. That's, and by the way, that book, The Perfect Season, found a first edition hardback online this week that I made a nice purchase there. So you'll have to sign that for me sometime. All right. I certainly Question will. number two. The Super Bowl's in Arizona in two weeks. Now, it's an incredible location because for those that don't know, the Phoenix Open is also in Arizona, always Super Bowl weekend. So you've got a melting pot of two incredible events. And for those even half, you know, men's and men's golf fans will love the Phoenix Open. They've got that 16th hole. It, it's like they rain beer down on guys whenever they, they, they hit a hole in one or it's close to the hole. It's a wild scene. What is the best location for the Super Bowl? There's only one answer to this question, well, by the it, way, but go ahead. It's either uh, Miami or it's New Orleans. Uh, and it's probably New Orleans. Uh, I would say the the party atmosphere in New Orleans, they should have every Super Bowl there. It's got to be a warm weather climate. New Orleans is warm at that time, not as warm as Florida or Miami. Uh, I think it's got to be – I think the West Coast time messes things up for a lot of people. I think it should be a, kind of on the East Coast or at least New Orleans time. But So I'll go Superdome New Orleans is the, should be the permanent site of every Super Bowl. Absolutely the best answer. One of my favorite, if not my favorite cities in America. Lends itself to that event. It does. Okay. okay. Third of three questions today. Mike, we lost Cindy Williams this week. The great Shirley of Laverne and Shirley. Great character. A lot of, uh, a lot of men our ages crush. Young when we're young, right? She was a sweetheart on that show. Laverne and Shirley, great. What's the best old-time sitcom show? That, you know, that it's era? funny. My relationship with sitcoms is really interesting because when I was a kid, I loved them. And then I just abandoned them. And it wasn't until I picked up Seinfeld, basically on the reruns. I wasn't even watching them when, in, in a timely fashion. Uh, there's no question in my mind that Seinfeld is the best sitcom of all time. However, the one I did watch that I really enjoyed, and I would uh, rarely miss it, was Sanford and Son. I thought that Sanford and Son was was a great sitcom, uh, and you know the dynamics on that show uh, really were funny to me. So there we go. I would go Seinfeld, there Sanford and Son. There you go. That's three questions for Mikey. Miss all right. Thoughts of the day. Just a couple of quick thoughts as we head towards the the closing of this podcast. Uh, my thought of the day is that two things will be changed for the NFL next year. One of them, obviously, is the Skycam wire. I don't think they can have that take the chance on doing that again. And I don't know how they're going to do it. 
Uh, I always thought, like, on that particular thing, they've got a sky cam that's recording it. Why couldn't they have gotten the sky cam replay and looked at it and see if it's shimmy was going up and down? And then, you know, the football hit it. But to avoid that, they're going to have to pull that wire back or they're going to have to do something different. Guarantee they will change that for next year. And the other thing I think they're going to change, I think people are getting tired of it. Maybe they're getting tired because you never used to be able to do this. And then they allow it. The backwards push on quarterback sneaks or when you're at the goal line. I think that's an unfair advantage. You're turning football into a rugby scrum by getting a lot of beef behind the quarterback to push the guy forward to get a couple extra yards that will either determine a first down or a touchdown. I don't like it, and I don't think a lot of people like it. I think it's run its course. I think the NFL will change that to prevent that for next year. How do you feel about that, Darren? Mike, I'm almost certain that they allow that this year because of a recent rule change in the last year or two. They just started to allow that. So I don't know that they're going to turn around and bounce it out so quickly because this is that's that's something new to the league that you're you're technically allowed to do that. Yeah, but now. because of the Eagles' success, like clockwork, I think they're and going, other teams I think they're going other to, teams have the opportunity yeah, to I, use I, it. I think they're going to change it. I think there's going to be enough sentiment to right. change that because it's really not football. It's really not the ideal of football. With, with regard to your Skycam comment, I'm at the game su- uh, Sunday afternoon. My 11-year-old says to me, she goes, Dad, that camera seems really low. Is it supposed to be that low? And I'm looking at her going, how can you know? No, it's never because we've never seen a punt hit the camera, by the way, the right. Skycam wire. I'm like, no, it's it's fine. Four minutes later, the boy, it's the thing. I said, how can you spot that? She's spotting dimes from amazing. up in the 200 level, my 11-year-old. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, all right, those are the thoughts of the day. Let's close it out with just a little information. The Mike Miss podcast will be coming to you frequently over the next several days as we lead up to the Super Bowl. Again, you can email me anything you've heard on this that you disagree with or agree with. Uh, let me uh, let me know. Uh, Mike at MikeMiss.com. That's my email. That's Mike at MikeMiss.com. You can reach me on Twitter or check out my Twitter account. It's MikeMiss25. Uh, and don't forget to tally vineyards. Um, you know, uh, you got a you got a few days like even this weekend it's it's a vacant weekend um it's funny because i read a tweet from a guy last week who said uh i told my wife that i would give up football this week if she would let me watch the nfc and the afc championship games he conned his wife how about that these are marriages they have to con each other you know to get (laughs) she goes okay okay we'll do something next weekend there's no football hon no football this weekend in any event uh, the winery is a great place to go this weekend. You want to sit in, but first of all, um, springtime is coming and it's going to be a marvelous time when we get outside and drink wine in the spring, but our wine tasting room is spectacular and you can spend a, a Saturday afternoon just hanging out with friends in the wine tasting room. Or if it's semi mild, like if it's like 48 to 50, sit outside, we've got fire pits. We've got, we've got Adirondacks around fire pits, which is a nice time to hang out with friends. Natalie vineyards, it's in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. You can order wine online at natalievineyards.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D-S.com. Uh, uh, I have some wine for Darren. He hasn't picked it up yet. Um, so uh, go there and, and, and drink, the, drink the wine that he's missing out on at uh, the winery that I'm now part owner of. And also, just a quick thing, Darren um, – I am going to be reading my ch- my children's book. Uh, the children's book, of course, is The Adventures of Shima the Sheba, which I wrote about my dog, illustrated by a, a great illustrator named Alex Lee. Uh, I'm going to be reading uh, the book 
uh, at Whitman Elementary to the kindergartners. That's fantastic. In uh, Whitman Elementary in Turnersville, New Jersey. And then later that night, I'm coming back for a book fair. So if you're in the area of Whitman Elementary School, Turnersville, New Jersey, they have a book fair. I'll be there with my book, signing copies of my book from 6 to 8 at uh, Whitman Elementary in Turnersville, New Jersey. Love that. Love that. That's great. All right. All right. I think that wraps it up for today. Everybody have a great rest of the day. Have a great uh, couple of days as we lead up to the Super Bowl. Whatever you're doing this weekend, have fun doing it. You get one week reprieve before you got really got to get serious. In fact, I was supposed to play, play basketball Monday nights. You know, these guys bailed out Monday night basketball last night because they were hungover from Sunday. Can you believe that? <laughs> they were too hungover to play an, an evening basketball run. That's I know a lot of guys that never went to sleep Sunday night. That just, you know. I get it, man. But come on. Crashed around 6 a.m. Sweat some of that crap out by playing some full-court basketball, <laughs> man. All right. It's the Mike Bussinelli Podcast. Subscribe to it. You can get it on all podcast networks, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and uh, uh, what else? Google. All right. It's Mike Miss. Have fun. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.